You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. All right, church. Well, I want to encourage you guys to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19. We are taking a little one-week hiatus uh, from our study in 1 Corinthians. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture from Luke Chapter 19 is page 878 in your pew Bible. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, you could turn there to page 878. You know, from uh, 2004 to 2010, a TV show called Lost captivated audiences all around the world. Any Lost fans here today? The show centered around the survivors of Oceanic Flight 815, which crashed on this mysterious, seemingly deserted island. And as audiences got to know the characters, they learned that, they, that many of them possessed shocking secrets which were revealed as the show uh, progressed. Now, there were some characters on the show who were morally decent people, and there were others, if you know, you know, who were really evil people. There were some who you rooted for, and there were others that you rooted against. However, despite their moral dispositions and all the twists and turns that came along the way, Every character still had one thing in common. They were lost, and they were in need of saving. In church, in many ways, this is a picture of the human condition, isn't it? We live in a world that's full of both morally decent people as well as immoral evil people. There are people who are selfless, and they do great things for humanity, and there's others who break the law and do things to hurt humanity. We live in a world that's diverse in its moral dispositions. However, no matter how moral or immoral a person may be, we all still share one thing in common, according to Scripture. From a spiritual perspective, all of us are lost and in need of saving. In fact, if you were to make a TV series about the human condition, lost would be a great title. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. We're lost. You know, some of the greatest thinkers in the world will say that people are born inherently good, or at least morally neutral. Like, do they even watch the news? You know what I'm saying? They'll say, oh, you know, people are just, they're inherently good. No, no, no. See, God's word teaches the complete opposite. It teaches that all of us have strayed from God's righteous rays in favor of our own sinful ways. Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. It says, as it is written, there was no one righteous, no, not even one. There is no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They've all together become worthless. There is no one good, not even one. Isaiah 64, 6. It says, we're all infected How about that word infected, right? And impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they're like nothing but filthy rags. Harsh words from the prophet. You know, whenever I officiate a wedding or preside over a funeral or uh, attend a special event, I usually wait until the very last moment to put on my suit. Do you know why? Because if I eat something beforehand, I don't want to stain the suit. Because a stain on my suit ruins the integrity of the suit. Well, church, that's what sin does. It it stains what's pure and it ruins its integrity. And according to the prophet Isaiah, he tells us that it actually taints your good deeds and it makes them unacceptable in the eyes of God. 
And so, friends, the fact remains that from a spiritual perspective, all of us are stained by sin. And the stain of sin is permanent, which means we cannot remove it even with our best efforts. How y'all feeling so far? Pretty good? And see, and so as a result, not only does the stain of sin negatively impact our earthly life, but it has a devastating impact on our eternal life. If a person dies with the stain of sin, they're going to be separated from God forever. This is the eternal fate of all those who are lost. Of course, the good news is that God provided a lifeline to the lost, and that lifeline is Jesus Christ. Amen? Isaiah 53, 6 says, All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the sins of us all. You see, 2,000 years ago, and most of you know this, right? But it's always good to be reminded of this. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross and pay the penalty for our sins. Three days later, Jesus rose again. And in doing so, he provided the way to remove that stain of sin once and for all. He provided the way for the lost to be found and be forgiven. John 3.16. Friends, never let this verse get old, by the way. I don't care if you've been a Christian for five minutes or 50 years or 100 years. Never let this verse get old. Let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. How about it? Amen? Jesus loves lost in fact, it was his deep love for the lost that compelled him to suffer and die so that those who believe in him would be saved and delivered. And for those of us who are saved and are delivered, we're called to tell lost people about God's great love for them so that they too can be saved and delivered. Well, this morning, as I already mentioned, we're going to take a little bit of a break from 1 Corinthians to look at a timely passage of scripture that vividly portrays Christ's love for the lost. And in doing so, it's my prayer that, that we would all leave here just a little bit more equipped and encouraged to love the lost and reach the lost like Jesus. Does that sound like a plan to you guys today? All right, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time in his word. God, I want to thank you for the reminder this morning already that you love lost people. And all of us in this room that know you as our Lord and Savior are a testimony of that truth. And so, Father God, help us to get out of our own way and help us to see the world through the eyes of Jesus. Give us a love for the lost like you have, that we might see souls come to faith in you in remarkable ways for your glory. And all God's people said, amen. All right, so we're in first, no, we're not, we're in Luke. <laughs> Chapter 19, see, you know, I'm used to 1 Corinthians, but anyway, uh, so Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Um, this morning, we're going to look at the story of a man named Zacchaeus. Now, if you've been in the church world for any extended period of time, you are certainly no strangers to Zacchaeus. In fact, you probably know his story best through the old Sunday school song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he... Go ahead, just get it out of your system. He climbed way up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see... And when the sun passed that way, he looked up in that tree and said, what, Zacchaeus? I'm going to your house today or whatever, right? Okay. It's all out of our system now. When people think of Zacchaeus, they almost always think of a wee little man, don't they? Like, Zacchaeus, wee little man. 
However, the real purpose behind his story, and it's okay, it's an amusing story and whatever, but the real purpose behind his story is to reveal an important spiritual reality about the mission of Jesus. And we can't lose that in the midst of the fact that he was just a wee little guy and his, funny, his story is kind of funny. Namely, that Jesus Christ, this is it, we learn from this passage that Jesus Christ's mission, it's the centerpiece of his ministry, was to seek and save the lost. And therefore, as his followers, we should follow his example. So read along with me. We're going to take a look at Luke 19, 1 through 10. We'll read the whole passage so you can kind of let it sink in, and then we'll break it down a bit. It says, He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass the way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This past spring, I, took a, I went on a field trip with my son to the Philadelphia Zoo. And uh, any, Anybody ever been to the Philadelphia Zoo before? And, and so uh, maybe it's just the pastor in me. Maybe it's just how I see the world. But as I walked around looking at all the different animals, I'm not a zoo guy. I've never been. I'm more of an aquarium guy. But as I'm looking at all these animals, I couldn't help but correlate the condition of the animals with the condition of humanity. I always, I guess I just look at things from a spiritual perspective sometimes. The animals, they were locked in cages, right? The animals were going through the same motions and routines, like the tiger. This is all we saw from the tiger all day long, you know, just going through the same motions, right? The animals were completely unaware of the freedom they could have outside the four walls of the zoo. And some of the animals, they were just miserable. They were completely miserable. And I just couldn't help but think, you know, lost people, they find themselves in the exact same condition. They're locked in these spiritual cages and they don't even know it. And they go through the meaningless motions of everyday life, unaware of the freedom and the joy that they could have in Christ. And even if they're well-adjusted, and even if they're taken good care of, many are still miserable deep down. They don't even know why. This is the condition in which we find Zacchaeus. You see, from the world's perspective, Zacchaeus was doing pretty well. We're told that he was a chief tax collector and was rich. In other words, he had power, he had position. He had prosperity. Prosperity. He had it all. The problem was that having it all came at a great cost. You see, to be a chief tax collector in the Jewish world meant living a life of loneliness and disdain. You see, the Jews, they were employed by Rome to collect taxes from their fellow Jews. However, many tax collectors would often collect extra money for themselves. Kind of sounds like the U.S. government. But anyway... Um, they would make themselves rich at the expense of their own people. And so therefore, they were despised by their fellow Jews. They were often considered to be traitors and the worst of sinners. And Zacchaeus was guilty of all these things. 
Now, we don't know exactly why Zacchaeus was seeking out Jesus that day. Perhaps he was just curious. Perhaps all of his wealth and his lavish lifestyle left him wanting. Perhaps his loneliness and the disdain of his people finally got to him. Again, we don't know exactly why Zacchaeus sought out Jesus, but, but what we do know is that his testimony is a vivid illustration of Christ's love for the lost. And so found within today's passage are four important realities concerning the lost. Let's look at the first. Number one, no lost person is beyond the reach of Jesus. That's number one. No lost person is beyond the reach of Jesus. Look again at verses 1 and 2. He entered Jericho, was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, the timeline of this event in Luke's gospel is worth noting because just one chapter earlier, Luke recounts this, this other interaction that Jesus had with a rich young ruler. And this rich young ruler asked Jesus what he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus, knowing that the rich man found his identity and his security in his riches, he told the rich man, sell everything you got and come follow me. However, because the rich man was so consumed with his prosperity, he walked away saddened, having never placed his faith in Christ. You see, the rich man's heart was so secure in his wealth, he was unable to place his security in Jesus. And so following this interaction, Jesus turned to his disciples. He said in Luke 18, verses 24 through 27, he said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's literally easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And then those who heard it said, well, then who could be saved? And he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Friends, just like the rich man, we all have people in our lives who seem to be beyond the reach of Jesus. In other words, we look at them and we think, man, they are just too far gone to be saved. It can be an addict. It could be an atheist. It could be a wayward son or daughter, an outspoken opponent of Christianity, a loved one who's embracing an ungodly lifestyle, you name it. And while the road to Jesus may be difficult for these people, it's not impossible. In fact, Zacchaeus is a perfect example of what it looks like for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. One chapter earlier, wasn't happening with the rich man, but Zacchaeus, same condition, different outcome. You see, just like the rich young ruler, Zacchaeus was a man who found his identity in his position, power, and prosperity. However, unlike the rich man, Zacchaeus' heart was softened towards the gospel. And church, I just got me to thinking, his testimony is a reminder to us to never lose hope. If God can get the attention of a man like Zacchaeus, he can get the attention of your lost loved ones as well. It doesn't matter how many sins they've committed. It doesn't matter how bad they've behaved. It doesn't matter where they've been or what they've done. As long as they're still breathing, they're not out of the reach of Jesus. Amen? I like what Shane Pruitt said. He said, there is no one too lost for Jesus to find. When it comes to salvation, we must remind ourselves that there's nothing impossible with God. Let's continue reading, verses 3 and 4. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. And so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. 
Church, I have to admit something to you this morning. I must admit that I am guilty of doing something that I have regularly encouraged others not to do. I judge books by their covers. And I'm not being figurative here. I literally judge books by their covers. If the cover of a book is dated, or if it's ugly, or it's visually unappealing, uh, I develop unfair assumptions about the book well before I read it. And I know this practice is not right, and I even admit that I've been wrong time and time again. Nevertheless, it's still a burden I have to bear. Like, just update the covers, you know what I'm saying? Like, you want me to read an old book, make the cover look appealing. Well, in the same way, I think many Christians are guilty of a similar practice when it comes to how they view lost people. They rush to unfair assumptions and conclusions about them. They look at their outward actions and make assumptions about their inward attitudes. From an outside perspective, no one would have thought Zacchaeus would be seeking after Jesus. However, on the inside, there was much more happening in his life than what meets the eye. And so, friends, there's an important lesson for us to learn here. Namely, that we just never know who God's working on. We can't play God. He's not given us that role. We have no idea who he's working on. Sometimes we have hints of who he's working on. If somebody's talking spiritual things, I guess that's an indicator, right? But a lot of times we just don't know what's going on on the inside. Jesus said in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now that word draw means to drag like a net. And the idea here is that God plays an active role in pulling people towards himself. Now it's still the responsibility of that person to believe or not believe. But God is the one who initiates the urging. And oftentimes when God draws a person to himself, it happens in secret. You just don't know what's going on. Like Zacchaeus, God could be working on a person on the inside, and you would never know it from the outside. And so the practical application for us is that we should never, listen, we should never draw negative conclusions about someone else's spiritual journey. That's not our call to make. In fact, I would argue that instead of assuming the worst about a person, we, we'd be better off to assume that God is at work in that person. And Zacchaeus is a great example of that. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Zacchaeus sought after God with all of his heart. In fact, so desperate was Zacchaeus to learn more about Jesus that he put himself at risk of public scorn and humiliation. After all, having to climb a tree because you're a wee little man is pretty embarrassing, right? But nevertheless, for Zacchaeus, it was well worth the risk. Because outwardly, he was on the top of his game, man. Top of his game. But inwardly, he was falling apart. He was a wreck. He needed answers. He needed to see if Jesus was the real deal. And this serves as a good reminder to us that there are probably many more lost people seeking answers about Jesus than we might realize. And so therefore, instead of pointing fingers at them, we should do everything we can to point them to Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We are, we, us, are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the posture we ought to have. This leads us to the second reality. Jesus befriended the lost, and we should too. Jesus befriended the lost, and we should too. Look at verses 5 through 7. And when Jesus came to the place, 
He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they, his fellow Jews, some religious people mixed in that for sure, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. You know, church, when we look at the, the prevalence and promotion of sin in our society, when we see godless agendas influencing all areas of our society, when we see corruption go unpunished, when we see evil not only accepted but celebrated, it's easy to get angry and discouraged, is it not? In fact, usually our first reaction is we want to fight against these people who promote these godless attitudes, actions, and agendas. We often look at them as our enemies, as people that we need to beat in the culture war. And don't get me wrong, there's truth, there's a little bit of truth to that. It's true that Christians are called to preserve this world from the decay of sin and promote godliness and justice, but it needs to be balanced with another important principle and truth that we often tend to forget. Namely, that the very same people who we consider to be our enemies are the ones who we're called to reach. Those are the people we're called to reach. In other words, we need to remember that our primary fight isn't physical. It's spiritual. The real fight isn't on the battlefield, it's on the mission field. Friends, getting angry at the acceptance and pervasiveness of sin is understandable. I'm right there with you. However, we need to find a way to turn our anger into compassion. Like that verse that Pastor Dave read earlier. And we need to find a way to turn our fighting into friendship. The Jewish people, they were angry, man. They were angry that Jesus invited himself to the house of Zacchaeus. They couldn't understand why, why would he dine with someone who they considered to be an enemy and a traitor. Zacchaeus was someone who they worked hard to avoid. When they saw Zacchaeus coming, they knew, oh man, we're about to be broke. He's going to steal all this. He was a jerk to his own people. And that's how they viewed him. They worked hard to avoid him. He certainly wasn't someone they wanted to do life with. But Jesus, on the other hand, had a different perspective. In fact, all throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus spent a considerable amount of time with outcasts and sinners. He also spent a considerable amount of time yelling at the religious leaders of the day. Why? Because this was Jesus' heart. Look at Luke 5, 31 through 32. It's on the screen. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, when you look at context, actually, the Pharisees thought they were righteous. They really weren't. So this was kind of like a little bit of a jab at, um, at the Pharisees. But the reality still remains, Jesus came for sinners. And as believers, we must avoid this temptation to view the lost as people to avoid at all costs. Instead, we, like Jesus, should be a friend of sinners. How many of you are happy that Jesus has been called a friend of sinners? I would, I would hope so, because that's you. That's you. That's me. We should intentionally rub elbows with those who don't know the Lord so that we might win them to Christ. Pastor Dan, two weeks ago or last week or whatever, he preached on that very passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 
The Apostle Paul understood this. He said, yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings. Notice the words that Jesus used when he invited himself to the home of Zacchaeus. I think they're noteworthy. He said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down, exceeding joyfully. I look at this and say, man, that word hurry indicates a sense of urgency. And, and those words, I must, indicate because Jesus is God. Jesus knew Zacchaeus' heart was sensitive to the gospel. And that word today indicates, hey, man, there's no time to waste. And, and, and to me, I look at it as a reminder uh, to all of us that even though we may not know someone's heart like Jesus does, we should still operate with that same sense of urgency when it comes to sharing the gospel. Because no one is guaranteed tomorrow. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Indeed, the right time isn't, it's now, it's not tomorrow, it's now. Today is the day of salvation. There's a sense of urgency. And so all this to say, Jesus had no problem being a friend to the lost. In fact, his entire ministry was centered around it. And so therefore, as believers, we should follow his example. This leads us to the third reality. Only Jesus can transform the lost. Only Jesus can transform the lost. Look at verses 8 and 9. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and after I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. The other day, uh, I was sitting in my living room when I noticed an uninvited guest uh, was crawling on my arm. A caterpillar. Now, to me, caterpillars are ugly, unappealing, and disgusting. And for the most part, they provide no real benefit to the environment, at least not in their caterpillarilic state. I think I made up that word. However, once a caterpillar converts to a butterfly, game changer, right? Totally different story. You see, something ugly and old is transformed into something beautiful and new. Now, the process of this radical change is uncomfortable and it's inconvenience. In fact, things actually get worse before they get better. But once the cocooning process is over, a brand new creature emerges. A beautiful creature that could fly and pollinate the earth. A creature with a higher purpose. Church, this illustrates the type of transformation that takes place when a lost person places their faith in Jesus. When Jesus gets a hold of someone's heart, it is out with the old and it's in with the new. He completely transforms them and gives them a new identity and purpose. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. How about it? Amen? And as we see in today's passage, it did not take long for Zacchaeus to become a new creation in Christ. In fact, he became a believer the moment when Jesus called his name. And at that very moment, he was ready to start living a new life for Christ. He purposed to make amends for all of his wrongdoings. He set his priorities straight. He began living for the kingdom. You know, when some people place their faith in Christ, the radical change is immediate, like Zacchaeus. For others, it's a gradual change. However, the fact still remains that only Jesus, only Jesus, has the power to transform a lost soul. 
Therefore, if we desire, listen church, if we desire to see our lost family members and friends and neighbors and loved ones and so forth come to faith in Christ, then we must bring them to Christ. Romans 10, 13 and 14. It says, for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah, praise God. But then we go to the next verse, and this is where we all struggle a little bit. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? You know who someone is? Everybody put your finger up. Do this. Someone is us. Which leads us to the fourth reality. We're called to reach the lost like Jesus. Look at verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This past summer, the seventh Mission Impossible movie featuring Tom Cruise was released. He said he wants to make those movies into his 60s or 80s or something. No, he's already in his 60s, so he must have said to his 80s. I'd pay to see that. Tom Cruise is the man. But anyway, <laughs> if you know anything about the Mission Impossible series, you know that it usually begins with a secret tape-recorded message that says something along the lines of, your mission, should you choose to accept it, is dot, dot, dot. Now, even though every mission is a bit different, they all share the same common characteristics. Number one, they're always intense. Number two, they're always seemingly impossible. And number three, they all have world-saving implications, right? And probably number four, Tom Cruise always does his own stunts. Those are the four biggies, right? But church, in all seriousness, God has given us, his people, a special mission with world-saving implications. And make no mistake about it, this mission is intense, and it will sometimes feel seemingly impossible. However, it's a mission that we must choose to accept because a person's salvation literally depends on it. And this mission is reaching the lost like Jesus. Mark 16, 15 says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Wherever we go and whatever we do, we're called to proclaim the hope of Jesus to lost souls. I mean, if we're, if, if we're going to call ourselves followers of Christ, then we need to be followers of Christ. And if this is piercing your heart the way it's piercing mine, that's a good thing. Now, this week, the Lord has given us a unique opportunity to do exactly what Mark 16, 15 says. With Grace Night Out right around the corner, which, by the way, I'm going to pause with Grace Night Out because the Lord gives us like opportunities every day to do this, right? It's not just centered around a big event. I mean, every Sunday is an opportunity, really. And every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday through Saturday is an opportunity to preach the gospel. But in the context of this week, the Lord has given us a unique opportunity to obey this command. With Grace Night Out right around the corner, we have an opportunity to introduce our lost family members and friends and coworkers and neighbors and loved ones to Jesus. And listen to me. Listen. Listen closely. Maybe, just maybe, Maybe, just maybe, God might use next Sunday night to save them. Wouldn't that be something? So church, as I, as I wrap up, I want you to know that my prayer for you, as well as myself, 
is that we might navigate this next week with the eyes of Christ, keeping people like Zacchaeus in mind. My prayer is that we might navigate this week believing that no lost person is beyond the reach of Jesus and that God is working on their hearts even if we can't see it. Why would we assume he's not? If we're going to make an assumption one way or the other, let's assume he is and, and operate that way, right? My prayer is that we might navigate this week with a holy boldness to proclaim the gospel, even if it's just through a simple invitation. The Apostle Paul said it best in Ephesians chapter 6, 19 through 20. He said, pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, and pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should as we should. And so in your pew, in the back of the, and in the back of the auditorium, there are invitations to Grace Night Out. And so as a matter of practical application, I want you to grab those invitations if you have one sitting next to you in your pew. If you don't have one with you, that's cool. You can pretend you have one. There's a bunch in the back you can get on the way out. But grab that invitation right now. I want everybody to grab that invitation. Or invitations, whatever's sitting in your pew. Look behind you, look around you. There's some empty spots that are, there might be some invitations laying around. And with that invitation in hand, I want you to look at it. Like, literally look at it, okay? Don't look at me. I'm not that good looking. Look at the invitation. And with that invitation in hand, I want to encourage you to ask the Lord this question. Who does this invitation belong to? And it's not you. Who does this invitation belong to? And before we close, I'm going to pray that God would give you the boldness to invite whoever it is he lays on your mind. And that your recipient would be sensitive to the invitation. In fact, we're going to pray even bigger than that. We're going to pray that God might save their souls next week. Amen? And before doing that, I'd like to address those of you who are here today who have never responded to the gospel, if you've never responded to the gospel, the last thing I want you to do is wait until next weekend to do so. So if that's you, just listen to me for 28 seconds. And when a preacher says 28 seconds, it probably means longer. But if you've never responded to the gospel, perhaps you're like Zacchaeus. On the outside, all is well. Good morning, how you doing? I'm doing great, how are you? I'm doing great too, but on the inside... Oh, man. On the inside, you're broken, and you're ready to be changed by Jesus. You're tired of it. You're tired of living the life you live in. You're tired of, the, of the, the hurt, the pain, the purposelessness, whatever it is. If that's you, listen closely. Jesus is willing to save you and transform your life right now. Right now. And if you're ready to receive Jesus, you can do so right now, right in your seat. And I'm going to give you that opportunity to do so. I've already explained the gospel when I began this message. For all sinners in need of a Savior. Jesus Christ came to seek and save that which was lost. And all who believe in Jesus will not perish but have everlasting life. If that's you, I'm going to ask everyone here to bow their heads. But I'm talking to you specifically. I want to encourage you to pray and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You could pray something like this. The prayer doesn't save you, but the heart behind it, your belief in Jesus does. 
and just pray, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins and I ask for your forgiveness and I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe he died for my sins and that you raised him to life. And I want him to come into my heart and take control of my life. Today I trust Jesus as my savior and I desire to follow him as my Lord from this day forward in Jesus' name. And while just everyone just keep their, their heads bowed, if you prayed to receive Jesus for the first time today, or if you'd like more information about what it means to do so, just let me know. Let us know by marking it on your connect slip. Put it in the gray basket on your way out just so we can be sure to do everything we can to help you in your journey with Jesus. But for everyone else with your, with your heads bowed, let's just pray. Pray over uh, the events of this coming week, in particular those invitations. Father God, it's your business why you've led us to put Grace Night out on for a second year. God, we're just operating in faith that we're just doing what you would have us do and leaving the results up to you, God. But Lord, as we operate in faith and as we prepare for um, this special outreach, I pray for every single person in this room, in particular for the invitations they have in their hands or will have in their hands. Lord, that whoever they may invite, whoever you laid on their hearts that need Jesus, that they would be receptive to the invitation, Lord. You would soften their hearts even right now that they would say yes. And Father, even bigger than that, we know it is your desire that not anyone should perish but all come to repentance. I pray that you would save their souls. And Lord, you don't have to do it next week. We pray that you would save their souls the moment they get handed that invitation, that you would allow a gospel conversation to happen in that moment. But if you choose not to, we pray that they would say yes and that they would come to Grace Night Out, that nothing would distract them, that they would stay for the whole night, that they would hear the gospel and that they would respond. Father God, we desire to see more and more souls come to faith in Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to have that Christ-like compassion for the lost as we look at how you loved Zacchaeus. As much as Zacchaeus put himself out there, you put yourself out there because you, you opened yourself to ridicule even by the religious elites because you ate and dined with sinners and you loved them. But you loved them with a purpose to bring them to a saving knowledge of you. God, help us to do the same today. Oh, Father, we need your boldness. Help us to be like Paul, to declare your gospel fearlessly and that you might be glorified. And God, we just commit it all to your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.